Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. What we've been doing in the last few months is just spending time in the book of Psalms. And the purpose of doing that really for us was that we wanted just to spend some time um, in the devotional aspect of the word. And, and the Psalms, they're fantastic. They're written by a range of people who were going through lots of different things in their lives. And they seem to capture emotions at their, th- their points of greatest intensity. It's like a snapshot or maybe thoughts at the moment of greatest clarity. And it's there in the Psalms for us. And you can't help but read through them and and identify with the the psalmist and say, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. That's, That's where my life is at the minute. And then you're encouraged because they're on a journey. hate to use the J word, it's overused, but they're on a journey and you're able to take that with them and to be encouraged that they went through it and God saw them through it and and just to believe that for your own life. And I've been thinking a lot recently um, about the pace of life and especially 2016. What a year 2016 has been. Uh, Really has been quite extraordinary, isn't it? It's been a year of unexpected things that have happened, shocks, Um, that have reverberated around the world, um, things that have changed the landscape in lots of ways. And I think that's created a lot of insecurity around the world, quite rightly, because things are changing and people don't know how they're going to pan out. Um, You know, we've had a referendum in this country, we've had an election across the pond, and both of those gave us a result that, let's be honest, none of us even though we speculated about it, we didn't really think it was going to happen, and it kind of did. And um, one of the ways in which I've personally been challenged in that is the Lord has been talking to me about where, I, where my feet are. And I believe that when we look to Jesus, that he was someone who lived this life, and he went through different things in his life, but he always had a security that came from his father. And a classic example of that is when he's asleep in the boat um, on the lake and a storm rises and all the disciples are running around the boat panicking and he's fast asleep at the back and they have to wake him up. He's, he's so peaceful, they actually have to shake him awake. And he's saying, what's, you know, what, what's the panic? And they say, have you not seen the waves that are just about to come over the edge of the boat? And his reply to them is that, be peaceful. Because he had a peace that came from his father. It didn't mean he was disconnected from everything going on. And that's really important for us. We're not to be, as people that are born of him, we're not to be those that are disconnected from what's going on or unfeeling about it. But we are to be those who are connected inwardly to our heavenly father. And that that's where we find our hope, our strength, our security and our peace. And that's what Jesus was like. And if we're going to be like him, that's what we need to be like as well. So what I'd like to do is just read through a few of the Psalms, Um, and specifically, one of the things that you'll possibly notice if if you've been reading through the Psalms is the repetition 
uh, of this word, uh, sila. Has anyone noticed that when you're reading through it? S-E-L-A-H. It's a funny little word. And if you look it up in a Bible dictionary, there are varying different views and theories about what it actually means. Because most of the stuff in the Old Testament, it has a derivation from an original Hebrew word and usually a couple of words that have come together. But there'll be a root word and you can go back to the root word and you can see how a word has evolved, just like English. But there isn't really one for this. So no one really knows exactly what it means. But there is speculation that when you see this in the text, often you'll see several verses in a psalm and then you see this little word on the right it says sila and there's a break in the verses and then they carry on and then another break and this word again sila some people have speculated that it was um, because a lot of the psalms were written to be sung as a choir with instruments playing that maybe it was a point where the the choir stopped singing and there was a pause maybe a pause in the music Um, It may be a musical notation. It could be a change in the instruments, that different instruments came into the next bit of song. We don't really know. But the one thing we do know is it seems to be a pause. So when you're reading through a psalm, this word pops up, sila, and it's, it's, it's just someone putting a hand up saying, stop there and have a think about what you've just read. And I've been thinking a lot about our need to do that. 2016, as I said, has been, when we look back on it, I think we'll think it's quite a manic year, really. One of the things that struck me was earlier this year, I like to watch the, um, the newspaper review. So if, you, if you're on Sky News or BBC News, they have this thing where they review the newspapers for the next day. And I like that little slot. And you get a couple of journalists, and they tend to pick out the stories that interest them. And when the referendum uh, went ahead, and the result came out, and then David Cameron resigned... There was one night I was watching this review, and one of these journalists said something that was really interesting. He said, something had just happened in the news. He said, we would normally spend a couple of months talking about this. But it was two days ago, and we've forgotten it already. Because there is so much news coming day after day after day that we're not getting a chance to just absorb what's coming. And I remember when I I heard that journalist say that, I thought, this is, it's quite distracting for us. Because there's constantly things bombarding our lives. If you've got one of, uh, I haven't got it on me, but if you've got a, uh, a smartphone, you've got alerts on that. I've got Facebook on it. I've got WhatsApp. I've got text messages coming in. I had the news, BBC, when there's a headline, it goes boof, boof on my phone and there's a headline to see. It's a constant attention grab. Constantly, there's something to distract me. And I think for us as God's people, we have to be really careful about those distractions. We have to be careful that we're not letting those keep us distracted from the really important things in our life. And if we're not careful, it's easy to do. That We're just so busy that sometimes, if we're honest, if there's a gap in our day, there's almost a temptation to fill it with something, isn't there? Do you ever feel that? And I'm speaking personally. Not everybody will feel that way, but I do. I think, right, what can I fit in there? And sometimes we do that with our own attention span. Is that we, we, we just feel if there's a vacuum, or if there's some silence, we've got to fill it with something. And that's not a good thing. What the word sila means is pause, be quiet, <laughs> and reflect. Reflect on what's just been said. And that's really the heart of what I just want to share with you this afternoon, what God's talking to me about in my life at the minute. About... 
finding a, a purpose in the pause. That silence is nothing to be afraid of. And actually, there's great purpose in just pausing, just taking time out. And that actually, in those moments, God can do so much. It's not about the number of minutes. It's about the quality of the time. See, God measures time differently from us. We are so used to measuring it in minutes, hours, days, weeks, and so on. But he doesn't see time that way. God sees time as one thing. You know, God can see the beginning of time and the end of time all at the same time. Because he's outside of time. He's eternal. So for him, he's seeing Jesus on the cross right now. He's seeing Adam and Eve walking in the garden. He's seeing you sitting here right now. He's seeing other moments in your life that you've not yet lived. But for God, they've kind of already happened. It's a bit weird, isn't it? But when we interact with him, because he's eternal, we who live here in the temporal, we're interacting with someone who is eternal. And what it does is it helps us almost to step outside of time in those few moments. We can experience eternity through him. And it has a wonderful way of actually just stopping everything. So the whole world just slows down and it's just you and the Lord. And I just want to encourage you to seek out those moments. And I'm going to look in a, in a minute at what the Psalms have to say about that and why the Psalmists think it's so important for us to live like that. Some of the benefits, if you like. And let's start with Psalm 46. So I hope you've all got Bibles with you. If you're not, someone you can share with. Psalm 46. This one, I suspect a lot of you will know. It's a great psalm. And if you go to verse 10, we're just going to read one verse from this psalm. Okay? Wait for the rustling of pages to die down. Are we there? Psalm 46, verse 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, ESV. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So the, the really important bit in that verse is, for us right now, is be still. If you're still, you will know that he is God. You see, one thing comes first. It's not know that I'm God and then be still because you've just realized who I am. Actually, be still and I'll show you who I am. I'll reveal myself to you. Now, if you think this is easy, you go back to the beginning of this psalm, Psalm 46. Right at the beginning, the psalmist says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And he says this, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Now think about that. The psalmist is saying, look, the whole earth could give way, but that's not going to shake you. And then he says, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Can you imagine standing and watching a whole mountain slide into the sea? I'd be slightly disturbed by that, if I'm honest. But the psalmist is saying, don't be disturbed by that, because in that moment, God is your refuge and your strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And what it's saying is this, look, whatever's going on in your life, it could be as huge as the whole landscape of your life changing. And in that moment, I will be there for you. But what I need from you I need you to be still. Yeah? I need you to stop. Stop all activity. 
Stop the distractions and just be still. And in that stillness, I will show you that I'm your strength, that I'm your refuge. Even though the whole landscape, because that's what we're talking about, that picture of a mountain sliding into the sea, the landscape of your life will change. Be still and know. And I think that's our starting point, really, is just to be still before the Lord. And if you just go a few pages to the left, to Psalm 37, this is a Psalm of David. And um, if you just go to verse 7, so 37 verse 7, and we get a very similar thought here, but the, the thought is developed a bit more for us. There's a bit more for us in here. He says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So the instruction to us is, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So it's not just about being still, but there is a sense in us that we have to wait upon him. We have to wait for him to say something, to do something. When we come into his presence, we're on his timetable. Have you ever sat down with the Lord, tried to grab a few moments, and instantly you're talking to the Lord, saying, Lord, I've just got five minutes. I'm just going to grab five minutes with you. Um, I I, I could really do with this today, Lord. I've I've got to go to work in a minute. Um, So if you can just... And it's almost like we sit down and say... Quick, quick, quick. Come on, I haven't got much time. Can you just hurry up and do something for me or meet with me? And it's disrespectful to God. In fact, it's us not seeing him as he really is. When your eyes are unveiled and you see the glory of the Lord, you're dumbstruck. (laughs) You realize you're not there on your timetable. You're there on his timetable. And that has to be our attitude. That has to be our heart when we come into God's presence. When we put time aside, just to sit down, be still before the Lord. is to say, Lord, I'm going to wait patiently. But we have to be really careful the way we read that word patiently. Because in the word, in the word of God, patiently means something a bit different to how we use it today. We often think of it being waiting for something to happen and nothing else. But waiting patiently in the word is not that. It's an active thing. It means ceasing from activity, but to wait with eager expectation. And there's a a scripture in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, verse 6, sorry, chapter 6 and verse 15, it talks about Abraham. And it says, Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. Now, do you know how long Abraham waited? Steve's trying (laughs) trying trying to work it out. About 14 years for Isaac to come along. That's a long wait, isn't it? But the point is this. It's not that you always have to wait a long time for God to do something. But you wait until it's his time. Because you're waiting upon him. He's God. So in our hearts, we have to have that patience with the Lord. Say, Lord, in your timing, I want you just to show yourself to me. When our heart's right and the time's right, then the Lord opens to us and starts to reveal himself to us. So we're on his timetable. And just one other thing in this verse, it says, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And when I read that, I just thought, do you know, there is always something to distract us, isn't there? 
You know when you think, when am I going to get a bit of clear space in my diary? When am I going to get some headspace? When am I going to get some time just to have a think about things? And there never is one. One never presents itself to you, does it? Have you ever had a time when suddenly your diary opens up and you've got all this time just to think about it? It just doesn't happen. So what we have to do is we have to face the fact that it's only going to happen if you make the time. Yeah? So you're in control of this. It's down to you. It's down to me. We've got to make the time. There will always be something that distracts us from God's presence. And if I can put it this way, when we let that happen, we fall into the hands of the enemy. Because the devil would like nothing more than us to get distracted. If you can be constantly distracted so that you don't think about the important things and you're just taken up with the stuff of everyday life and nothing more, devil's perfectly happy. Well, that Christian's not going to be productive, are they? Sorted. No problem. I'll move on to another one. You see? So we're kind of doing his work for him. And we have to be mindful of that. The enemy would like us to be distracted all the time. But we have to be those that say, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to come into the Lord patiently. So if you just go with me to Psalm 62. This is another Psalm of David. And um, if we just start in verse 5. David says this, he says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. It's a good psalm, isn't it? Really encouraging. And the words that hit me square in the face, two words, God alone, for God alone. What's interesting is, if you go to verse 1, we get a repeat. So verse 1 and 2 actually echo 5 and 6. And it says, for God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. But when we get to 5, David's saying something slightly different. He says, for God alone... Oh, my soul, wait in silence. It's like David is now instructing his soul to wait in silence. You see the difference? In verse 1, he's describing something. In verse 5, he's telling you what he's had to do. You know, you've got to instruct your soul to wait in silence. You have to instruct yourself to quieten yourself, to still yourself before the Lord. And where it says God alone, it repeats it. Verse 6. He only, verse 7, on God rests. And our souls must be resting solely on the Lord. Now the reality is for a lot of us that that isn't always the case. And you don't realize it until something comes along that really knocks you out of whack. And you think, why am I feeling this way? And often the reason is because We weren't just relying on God. It's like we've got one foot on God and one foot on other stuff. Now that might be just the things that are really important in your life. It it could be your other half. It could be your family. It could be your job. For some people it's their hobby. 
You know, that's the thing they're living for. That's the thing that kind of they're looking forward to at the weekend. But we need to be those that have our both feet on God. And that's what David's saying. On you alone. It's got to be him alone. It's not that God doesn't want us to have those other things. It's not that God doesn't want us to rely on other things. But not alongside him. You understand? It's a priority thing. I put my feet on God first. He's my first foundation. Those other things are a support to me. They're a blessing to my life. But they're not the things I'm standing on. Because all of those other things I've just mentioned, they're all subject to change. In a moment, sometimes, you can lose someone who was your best friend. You can lose a job that was everything to you. It happens to people. And if that happens and it shakes your world, you have to stop and say, where were my feet? Because they need to be on the rock that is Christ. It's a challenge, isn't it? I'm sharing this with you because the Lord is challenging me in this and, and questioning where my reliance is, where my feet are firmly planted. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. So God wants you to rely solely on him and he will not share with anyone else. He's not happy when you're partly reliant on him and partly reliant on anyone else or anything else. He wants all of your attention. He wants all of your reliance. Now that's amazing, isn't it, really? The God of heaven cares that much that he's got my full attention. But that's the way he feels about you. He has called you. He saved you. And every single one of us is really important to him. We're not just a number. We were handpicked by the, the God of heaven and earth. So it matters to him whether he's got your full attention and whether he's got your full trust. And then in verse 8 it says this, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. You know what David's saying there is he said, Look, don't hold back when you're with the Lord. Give him both barrels. <laughs> yeah? Just let your heart pour out before him. Don't just share some of the things that are on your heart. Share everything with him. He won't share with anyone else. Before anyone else, he wants you to share your heart with him. Let's just go to Psalm 27. So we need to be those who are relying on God alone. And that's part of the, the reason why we need to have a pause. That's the purpose of the pause. Is to actually look at God and say, Lord, I'm going to pour out my heart before you. And then I'm going to make sure my feet are firmly planted on you. Verse, uh, Psalm 27 verse 14. Psalmist says this, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So we've got that instruction again, not just being up still before the Lord, but waiting for the Lord. Now, when I read this, sometimes I find when you read verses in, in the Word, you can kind of read them different ways, can't you? Depending on the intonation that you put on it, where you pause, etc. And when I read this, I wasn't quite sure which way to read it, because you could say, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. In other words, what strengthens you is that your heart takes courage. Or, 
you could look at it and say, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. In other words, you need to be brave here to let your heart take courage. Now, you might say, well, why would you need to be brave to let your heart take courage? Well, when the Lord wants to fill you, you know, generally, he wants you to get rid of some stuff. There's only so much room in your heart for things. We have a capacity to hold things in our heart. His desire is that you would take courage, that he would fill your heart. But sometimes there's stuff in there that stops you from doing that. And I think for some of us, it's stuff in the past, stuff that we cling on to that we're really not happy about. And, and often, quite rightly, stuff that's not good, that's not right, that's happened to us. And it's like the Lord is saying, now I need you to be strong. I need you to let your heart take courage from me. And you need to let go of some of those things. For some people, I think there are certain issues and there are certain things in your mind that have come to define us, come to define you. Because it's such a big issue. And they're the things that God says, when you come before me, you need to let go of those and let my courage come into your heart. Let the Spirit fill you afresh and fill your heart. It's an act of the will that we allow God to do that, that we make space in our hearts. And we do that generally by letting him clear out the rubbish. You see, when God wants to build something in you, he doesn't just build on rubble. He's a good builder. He clears all the rubble out of the way and says, if I'm going to build something to last in you, it's got to go on a flat surface. The foundation's got to be good. And sometimes there's just rubble in there. and We've got to let him clear it out of the way. And then he can build something lasting. If you just go with me to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. This is a great psalm. And at the beginning it starts out, Out of the depths I cry out to you, O Lord. Out of the depths. O Lord, hear my voice. And then if you go down to verse 5, it says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. In his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. And then, and then the psalmist says it again. More, if you weren't listening the first time, more than watchmen for the morning. You think, well, what, who are the watchmen? He's talking about people who are on watch overnight. Now, has anyone actually done night duty? And then done shift work where you're up all night? I've never done that, but I imagine it's torture at times. <laughs> Waiting for shift relief in the morning. The watchmen that the psalmist is talking about here, they were up all night and they were eager, I imagine, to see the morning come because that's when the shift was finished. That's when they could go to bed. That's when they'd be relieved. And the psalmist is saying this, I wait for you, my soul waits for you more than them. In other words, my soul is more eager than they are and they are pretty eager to get to bed by this stage. He's talking about a yearning. And 
one of the things that we, we have to have in our hearts is a yearning for him. You see, he responds to a yearning. When, when there's a hungry heart that comes before the Lord, it, it elicits a response in God. It's like it moves his heart. Do you know he can be moved? Yeah, God Almighty. His heart can be moved by others, including you and me. And we have to have a yearning heart. Now, I know there will be times when all of us think, well, I know it should be, but I can't say I'm yearning. I know I need the Lord, but I'm, I'm really not burning for this. And I think in those times, all you can do is say, Lord, I want to want you more. You ever prayed that? I've prayed it a lot. Say, Lord, I want to be more hungry for you. And the way that the Lord does that is, is that the Holy Spirit softens our hearts. We allow the Holy Spirit to come and to change our hearts. Because if we're not longing for him, it's simply hard-heartedness. It's nothing to be condemned about. The Lord is gracious. He's patient. He loves us. But we have to say, Holy Spirit, I need you to melt my heart so that actually I long to see the Lord. I long for his presence. And when we're in that place where we're longing for him, he will respond. He responds to that kind of hunger. He'll never let us down. If we take the time to do that, we push all other things aside and we get before him and say, I'm longing for your presence. And Lord, I want to long even more for your presence. And he'll respond to us in that. If you just go uh, all the way back to Psalm 40. This is a psalm that's talking about drawing near to the Lord. You know, in the book of James, there's a promise for us. It's a great promise. It says this. Those who draw near to the Lord, the Lord will draw near to you. Isn't that great? However you're feeling, wherever you're at, even if you feel awful inside, even if your life's in a mess, his promise is that when you draw near to him, which simply requires a hunger, then he'll draw near to you. That's a wonderful promise. Don't ever let your feelings keep you from his presence because you think you won't get a welcome response, that you think you'll get the cold shoulder, or you think that God will just hold you at bay just to teach you a lesson. He is not like that. He's a loving father. And he knows every aspect of your life. There's not a single thought that's gone through your head that he doesn't know about. Before you were born, he knew every single day of your life. The ones you haven't even lived yet. He knows all the mistakes you've made. And he knows all the ones you're going to make. And it didn't stop him from saying, I wholeheartedly send my son for you. I've sent the shepherd to get you the lost sheep. I want you. I know all the mistakes. I know all the rubbish. I know all the past. I want you. That's what he's like. Isn't he wonderful? He's so gracious. None of us would be like that, would we? We'd give people a few chances and then, well, that's it. He's so gracious. So gracious. This is another Psalm of David. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. That's his promise. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. You know, the first thing that happens in the presence is that he draws you up from wherever you are. 
You don't have to be in a good place to come into the presence of the Lord, folks. And you know what? The enemy will tell you every time you ain't in a good place, you're not going to come into the presence of the Lord. The Lord will draw you up. In David's case, it was out of the miry bog. I think someone prayed that earlier today. And set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. You see, in the presence, he sets your feet where they should be. Not on slippery ground, but on him. Set your feet on me. And then it says in verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. As well as drawing us up, he puts a new song in our mouth. Now, when I read this, I was looking at this psalm the other day thinking, okay, so David's saying, I waited for the Lord and I cried out to him. So when we come into God's presence, we do need to cry out to the Lord. We've read, didn't we, earlier that we need to pour our heart out before the Lord. But then what's interesting, when we get to verse 3, David is saying, he put a new song in my mouth. You think, okay, where did the song come from? Well, it came from the Lord, didn't it? And then I thought, how do you learn a new song? How do you learn any song that you know? What's the first thing that happens to enable you to learn a song? You hear it. That's right. So when we come into God's presence, we're to cry out to him. But here comes the stillness again. Then we need to still ourselves before him. Say, Lord, it's more important for me to hear your voice. I want to hear you right now. And you know, when you say that to the Lord, I want to hear you, he always responds. We don't rush him. We say, Lord, when you're ready, I just want to hear your voice. And then he speaks. And he puts a new song in your mouth. You know, when you draw near to the Lord, if you come into his presence, one of the things you need to be prepared to do is to sing a new song. The song of your life has to change. <clears throat> there are times when we come into the presence of God, and let's be honest, we ain't going to sing a new song. <laughs> we are dead set on the one we're singing. We just want to top up from the Lord. It doesn't work that way. You see, there's a surrender that happens when we come into the presence. It's not our timetable, it's not our agenda, and it's not our song. It's all him. And we have to come before him and say, Lord, I'll wait on you, and I'm willing to change the song of my life. I'm willing to, for there to be a new confession in my mouth. And that requires us, again, to let go of stuff. I'm increasingly persuaded that all of us, as believers, need to have the cross at the center of our lives. Paul said, I boast in nothing but Christ and him crucified. He wasn't saying, I've only got one sermon and I'm going to preach that for 30 years. He was saying, it's at the center of my whole being, of everything I am. My whole life hinges upon the cross. And at the cross, there's an exchange that takes place. We bring ourselves as we are, all that we am. And the Lord says, right, I need you to put it on this cross. Because all of that is what got nailed to my cross. And in return, I'm going to give you a clean heart and a fresh start. But you can't take that stuff with you anymore. And do you know what we do? We try and take it with us. We try and own it again. 
And in the presence is where God says, it's time to stop owning those things of your past. Your past is now my past. Your heritage, it's me. And that's when a new song comes. It releases us. It's a liberty. There's grace in that for us. And that's what God wants from us in the presence. Just got um, one more song, one more psalm, and that's Psalm 123. Just going to have a look at that. How are we all doing? Okay? All right? Good. Psalm 123. This is a whistle stop through a few psalms. We're doing seven psalms today. Hope you're enjoying it. Psalm 123. This is a great psalm. This is one of my faves, I have to say. Top five. He says this, To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. It's a curious few verses, isn't it, really? It's like lots of things. When I read stuff in the Word, I read it through once and go, what? And then I go back and read it again, and then it makes a bit more sense, and I go back and read it again. And the first thing that happens in this verse is, it says, to you I lift up my eyes. Now, we all know, don't we, that our eyes are on our circumstances, and we've been told again and again that we have to take our eyes off that and put them on the Lord. And it's so much easier said than done, isn't it? It really is. But it doesn't make it any less necessary or important for us. We have to learn the art of stop looking at the things around us and look at the Lord. And that really only happens when we allow ourselves to push all the distractions aside, put the mobile phone in a different room, you know, so we can't even hear it vibrating. You know how it does that? Kind of... You know, sometimes I feel my pocket vibrate, and I've got, oh, and I've got no phone. I've got, like, ghost vibrations going on in my pocket. <laughs> we have to push all that aside to allow space for us to be quiet before the Lord. And that's when we can really take our eyes off the things that are troubling us and the things that are on our mind and look at him. And then it's got this curious verse in verse 2. It says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. And there's a picture there of a master or a mistress, and the servant is watching. It's like this really good servant. Watch it. Does she, does she or he, do they need a drink? I'm there right away. Do you need a tissue? I'm there right away. It's a picture of attentiveness. And it's attentiveness because the servant wants nothing more than to please the master. The servant is looking for any indication of what the master wants. And it's a picture of how we need to be attentive before the Lord. That actually we need to look at him and say, Lord, what's on your heart? When we come into the presence of God, let that be our question. Lord, What's on your heart today? What's important to you? What are you thinking about? Man, he's thinking about lots of things, isn't he? He can keep more than one thought in his head. But some of those thoughts he wants to share with us. Not all of them, because not all of them are right for you, but lots of them are. And they say, this is what I'm thinking about, and I want to share it with you. 
And then at the end of that verse, verse 2, it says, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. Which I think is a really funny thing. Until he has mercy. Now, we've already experienced the mercy of God. If you're born again, if the Spirit of God lives within you, then you're spiritually alive. You've come under the mercy of God and you live in the grace of God right now. This is talking about something different. It is speaking about grace, but I believe it's speaking about grace for a particular moment. Now, in your life, you will need grace in different measures. Some stuff you need a lot of grace for, don't you? Other stuff you need less grace. But God apportions that grace depending on your life and depending on what he has for you to do. But he apportions it in his presence. You understand that's the key is coming before the Lord and waiting upon him, like we've said, patiently, looking to him, and then there's a release of grace to you. And it's what the Bible calls anointing. That whatever God has called you to do, it talks about an anointing for the task. And it means that there's a measure of grace that we experience. And I think this is really important for all of us as believers because you can be two different types of Christian. You can be the sort of Christian that runs off and tries to do all the things that God, you think God wants you to do. Or you can be a Christian that waits on the Lord, that looks to him and listens to what he says, waits for the new song, the things he's got for you to do, and then waits for a measure of grace to come that will enable you to do those things. And the reason why it's important, because God is looking for a people who will do things in his anointing. That means by his strength. That means not taking credit for it. That means our fingerprints aren't on it, only his. And then he gets the glory, which is the way it should be. Amen? Amen. So we need to be those that wait in the presence for the anointing. And I want to just encourage you to do that, to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, the things that you've called me to do and the things I've got to do, my job, my family, all the things that I do every day, Lord, I want you to measure out grace to me. I want you to give me the anointing that I need and I'm prepared to sit and wait for it till I feel it's come into my heart. And the Lord says, let your heart take courage for grace is on the way, the anointing is on the way, and I'll release you when the time is right. It's his timetable. So just to finish, I want to just look at a story that you will be familiar with very briefly. It's in Luke chapter 10. And this is a story of two people, one of whom was looking for that grace and that release. And the other one was looking busy, but busy with the wrong things. And that's the challenge for all of us. Are we busy with the right stuff? It's all good stuff often. It's all legitimate. But are we busy with the right stuff? And have we got it all in the right order? And that's where the challenge comes. So this is in uh, Luke ten thirty-eight. This is the story of Martha and Mary. Verse 38 says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me 
to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Right. Now, who here thinks that Martha gets a little bit of a bad rap in this story? Just me? <laughs> Just three of us, then. I sometimes think she's a bit hard done, too. <laughs> Because Martha was rolling her sleeves up. She was getting on with it. You know, she wasn't just sitting on her backside. So we have to look carefully at the story, and we have to look carefully at what Jesus meant, what he was trying to convey. And the thing that strikes me is in verse 38, it says, Martha welcomed him into her house. The first person to greet the Lord was Martha. Now, Martha and Mary, they were the sisters of Lazarus. They knew Jesus. They lived at Bethany, and Jesus knew them well. Martha was the first there. Do you know, sometimes the most vocal amongst us, we could look at them and think, well, they obviously have the greatest relationship with the Lord, don't they? They know the Lord really well because we're the most vocal. It's not always the most vocal amongst us that are close to the Lord. Don't be fooled by necessarily what you hear. Sometimes it's the quiet amongst us that have the deepest relationship with him. The second thing is this. In verse 39, Mary, it says, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened. Now, the key there is she sat at the Lord's feet. You know that attentive servant? She wasn't leaping up to do anything. She was looking first. She wasn't just charging off saying, right, we'll get this and we'll get that and we'll put on several courses for him. She was looking to the master's hand. And that's a perfect picture of our lives sometimes. Are we stopping and looking first at Jesus and saying, Lord, all the things in my life, what do you want me to do? What are the things you're calling me to do? And sometimes there are, there are times, I find, as you get older, you seem to accumulate more stuff. I'm not on about things in your house. I'm on about responsibilities. Have you noticed that? It's like a game of buckaroo. More stuff just keep getting piled on and piled on. And you can feel weighed down under it. But you know, when you come into the presence, it's a point where you can stop and say to the Lord, Lord, what's important? What do you want me to do for you? And then listen for his voice. And that's really important, folks. If we don't do that, and I've been here, you just get burnt out. And when you get burnt out, you get fed up. And when you get fed up, do you know what happens? You start looking at other people. Why aren't they doing as much as I am? And those little thoughts just creep into your head. Why, why does life seem to be going so much better for them? Why do they live in a bigger house than I do? Why has that person got a better job than me? Why have they still got both parents and I haven't? And those are the thoughts that come to drive a wedge between us and the Lord, because ultimately... He's the one that's in control, so we're not really happy with the way our life has gone, and with each other. So we have to be really careful about those thoughts. Martha was distracted, it says in verse 40. Do you know she was distracted with all the legitimate stuff? You know. But she was distracted. And then it says, in that same verse, it's, Jesus says this. 
sorry, it says, she went up to him and said, so Martha says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Okay, there's two major problems with this conversation. (laughs) Number one, she didn't know what the Lord thought. Do you not care? Do you think the Lord cared? I do. So you have to question, Martha, how well do you know Jesus? If you thought that he didn't care about what you're doing. It's about relationship. Martha had a relationship with the Lord that she didn't know that he wouldn't care, that he would care about that. She thought less of him than she should have done because she didn't take the time. It's really important, relationship. Now, he knows her, even though she didn't know him so well. But what she tries to do is then she says, tell her then to help me. So the second thing wrong is she then gives him an order. It's not bad enough that she accuses him of not caring. She then tries to tell him what to do. At this point, I'd just be turning the other way if I was in the room. Oh, dear. This is not good. This is a car crash of a conversation. You know, we can sit and say that, but you and I have said those sorts of things to the Lord. I have. I've told the Lord to do things in my life that I'm not happy with. You know, to sort stuff out. And I've asked him why. He's not cared about this. Does this not bother you? But Jesus knew what she needed. He says, Martha, Martha, verse 41, you are anxious and troubled about many things. See, Martha was troubled with lots of stuff, lots of plates spinning, and she was worried about them. Jesus knew what was going on in her heart, and he knows what's going on in yours. Lots of things spinning around. But one thing is necessary. You know what that one thing was? To sit at Jesus' feet. Easier said than done. But no less necessary. There are lots of things going on in our lives and we need to sit at Jesus' feet. And then he says about Mary, Jesus, it says about Mary, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary had put Jesus first. She wanted to serve him. There's another story in John where the same woman, Mary, gets up and anoints Jesus in front of a whole bunch of people. She wasn't one that just sat on her backside. And God isn't saying to us, you need to just sit before me and do nothing. But she got things in the right order. She sat at Jesus' feet. And folks, we need to learn to sit at his feet, to hear his voice, to let him fill us. And when we've got that release of anointing to do the things he's called us to do, then to go. Mary felt that release later because she then anointed Jesus. And that was one of the most powerful acts in the gospel. Jesus said of her, it will always be talked about. This act, she did something majorly significant. No one remembered the meal that Martha made, poor Martha, but people remembered that memorable act, and that's really important for us. Jesus is our portion. So I just want to encourage you, really, um, to find purpose in the pause, to find time in your life,
to put everything on hold, to push away the distractions, to sit still before the Lord, to wait patiently upon him, to yearn for his presence like you would yearn for the dawn. Let him be your dawn every day. And to learn from this story with Martha and Mary that actually productivity doesn't necessarily come from activity. Productivity in the kingdom of God, you know where it comes from? Anointing. And anointing comes from the presence. If you want to be productive in your life as a believer, then you need to be in the presence and you need to receive the anointing and then you'll accomplish far much more than you ever would on your own steam, on your own strength, on your own agenda. You know, there's a great verse in the Psalms and it says, better one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And when I've looked at that, I've often thought, maybe the psalmist is saying, I can achieve more things from one day in your presence than I could a thousand days out of your presence. That's the kind of ratio we're talking about. So I just want to encourage us in that. And Lord, I just pray for each of us. You know where we're at, Lord. You know all the things we have in our life. Lord, you love us and your heart is for us to be close to you. Lord, your heart is for that when we sit down with you, Lord, that we will draw close to you and you will share your heart with us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we will be people of your anointing. We will be those that wait patiently for you, whose hearts are longing for your presence, whose ears are itching to hear your voice, to sing the song that's on your heart and not the song of this world, to be those who are calm in the storm, not because we're disconnected from everything going on, not, not because we don't care, but because our feet are firmly planted on you, Lord. Let our security and strength, the courage of our hearts, come from you. And Lord, we just pray in these coming days, I pray for everyone here, Lord, that you will help each of us find those moments, those pauses in our day, and that, Lord, we will find much purpose in each pause, that it won't be a quantitative thing, Lord, that we won't be clocking in and clocking out of your presence, but, Lord, it will be qualitative that even small moments, Lord, would contain great things for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We meet every Sunday at 10.30am in Stony Stanton and 4pm in Tamworth and Market Harbour. Feel free to come and visit us. We'd love to meet you. Thank you.